turn with me in your copy of the Word of God to the book of Philippians in chapter 2, and pick up the reading in verse 3, and we'll read down to verse 11. This is the Word of God. Please take heed how you hear. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility of mind count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Now, this astounding act of condescension is rewarded by two therefores, one in heaven and one on earth. The one in heaven is verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And in verse 12, there's an earthly therefore. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Amen. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the Word of God endures forever. So, we live in a culture, right, that worships youth. It's almost as if no one wants to grow older than 45, especially in Hollywood. We worship youth, and as a result, intentionally or unintentionally, we therefore prize relative immaturity. I'm reminded of Ronald Reagan, and I forget who he, who he was running against all those years ago, but Reagan was so, so much older as a senior statesman, and he was asked, I think, by one of the CNN uh, reporters in the debate, um, you know, what would you say about your advanced age and, uh, you know, in, the, in this race? Because his contender was so much younger, of course. And Reagan's w response was just vintage Reagan. He said, uh, you're quite right, he said, and it's not fair. I promise uh, to make, to, not to make my opponents relative youth and inexperience an issue in this election. <laughs> there are some things that get better with years, right? Yesterday in the, in the, in the World Cup match, the commentators were noting how, how youthful the French defense were, and they gave away two and almost three penalties, and with that almost the, their place in the semifinal, uh, pushing and being too argy-bargy in the penalty box is a, a dangerous thing, and older defenders learn not to do that, but these young men were full of um, pep, and they uh, pushed and shoved and paid for it. Wisdom, maturity come with gray hair. It's interesting that Jesus in Revelation 1, in his, this glorious picture of Him, is pictured like God in Daniel 7 with head hair, white like wool, like snow. And Jesus isn't using just for men. He's quite happy to content, to stand uh, with gray hair and to be 
seen in the dignity of the mature elder statesman glorified in heaven in full bloom of his wisdom, maturity. Well, I wonder this morning, are you a mature Christian? Are you growing? Are you doing all that you can to grow? Do you know how to grow as a Christian? Well, that's very much what Paul is speaking to in our text this morning. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. How can you go as a Christian? Well, the first thing Paul says is, you've got to know and understand how spiritual growth occurs. And the first thing I want you to see this morning is that spiritual growth um, begins with the person of Christ. Verse 12, therefore, my beloved. We often read this verse as if it began like this, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But it doesn't start there. It doesn't say, my brethren, my beloved. It says, therefore, a word that points back to Jesus, who He is, what He had done, His astounding humility, being in the form of God, having a right to all of the divine prerogatives of worship and respect and honor, hymned by billions of angels carpeting the throne in heaven. The spirits of just men made perfect, pledging their truth to Him and bowing in obeisance before Him, worshiping. And yet, He humbled Himself, exchanging heaven's throne for a manger carpeted not by angels, but with the stench of the urine of cows and goats. We saw recently that great diva, Ronaldo, be benched, and you could tell he loved the experience. He had the facial expression of one who just bitten into a ripe lemon. How dare you leave me on the bench? You can see it all over his face. Well, in our text this morning, we're not speaking about a diva. We're speaking about one who's absolutely and eternally and unchangeably divine. And all of the fullness of God dwelt in him, and yet he didn't hold on to his rights. He didn't say, you'll not send me to the stable floor. I'll go to a palace maybe, but not a stable floor. Though his whole life was one step down after another as he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He didn't claim his rights when God said, take a low position of a slave. What do you mean a slave? I'm the son of God. 
didn't grasp his rights when God said, my son, walk down the Via Dolorosa. He didn't clasp his rights in a, tense, in a clenched fist when God said, my son, you must become sin now. You've never sinned, but you'll become sin. You'll become the repository into which I put all of the wickedness, all of the transgression, all of the iniquities of ten billion lifetimes of sinners. All of their transgressions of my law, you will become that. Become it. You'll be stained to the core of your being. And at the end, I will consign you to the pit of the wicked damned, because as sin, that will be where you deserve to go. If your people are going to deserve to go to heaven on the basis of your righteousness, you will deserve to go to hell on the basis of their sins. Your union with them and their union with you will be that close. There'll be no room for plausible deniability, no room for me to wink at you and say, but I know you're not really sin. No, I will treat you as sin because sin is what you will become upon the cross. And Jesus says, my food and my drink is to do the will of him who sent me. And Paul says, therefore, work out your salvation. There's times in life where I I get very discouraged. It's hard to change. Sometimes there are many areas where I'm better than I ever was, and there are areas where I'm worse. And and as you get old and the arteries harden, (laughs) you become sometimes more grumpy, more testy. And um, you think this, Lord, I feel like I'm walking the wrong way down one of those um, airport runway things, the movable walkways. It's going like, it's going 4.2 miles an hour that way, and I'm walking four miles an hour this way, and it feels like you're making almost no progress. You're having to really push with your luggage to make any headway going the wrong way. It's difficult. And when you're in that situation, your instinct is to, is to grit, like someone singing for a high note in in the opera, and they're, they're, they're reaching, and, and, you, you, and you push just too hard. You, 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 try, you tense up, and, you, and your, your, your throat closes, and you're trying. And you've got to just support it from your gut and let it become effortless. And we don't support it from our gut sanctification. We support it from the cross. We go back, and we remember Jesus, therefore, And if you're struggling to grow as a Christian life, the first thing you do is not try harder. The first thing you do is to go back to the cross and let yourself be enthralled by the glory of Jesus Christ who made Himself nothing. Maybe you're struggling with some terrible sin that trips you up again and again and again and again. And in that moment when you want to choose sin, what do you do? You look to the cross. You say, Lord Jesus, will I choose sin when you chose to become sin, to redeem me from sin? May it never be. Therefore, my friend David Strain has this wonderful, he said, there's always a therefore every time you catch a glimpse of Jesus. Therefore, work out your salvation. 
So sanctification begins with the person of Christ. Secondly, spiritual growth, sanctification, thrives in the presence of God. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, right? With fear and trembling. He's describing the attitude of soul by which you grow spiritually. What do you fear? Why do you tremble? We need to realize that those words fear and trembling are used in Scripture. If you do a study, you will see they're almost always used together in one of two situations. Either someone has just experienced the presence of God, or they've just seen a vision of God. In those two circumstances, people respond with fear and trembling, like Moses in Mount Sinai. The writer of the Hebrews says, Hebrews 12, 21, indeed, so terrifying was the sight of God coming down that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Tremble, fear. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, right? Or, or think of Psalm 2, where these wicked rulers are plotting against God. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, let us cast away their cords from us, let us break their chains in pieces, right? They want rid of God. They want rid of God's precepts, His presence. That, that psalm was fulfilled, the apostles said, on the cross when they tried to get rid of God on the cross, human beings showed what they would do if they could get their hands on God, and we crucified Him when we did. Now, at the end of that psalm, you might remember, the psalmist says to these kings, Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and you perish in the wrath. Sorry. Now, therefore, kings, be wise. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Sorry. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and you perish in the way when His wrath is kindled but a little. Why? He's telling them, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Why? Well, because you remember, He gives this picture, this vision of God in the throne room, laughing. These wicked little kings, little lamps on the little cockroaches on the earth, fighting against God. And he lifts his eyes up and he says, I saw the Lord in heaven laughing at them. Not because they're funny, but because they're silly. Like cockroaches deciding we're going to climb up one on top of the other up to the heavens, and we're going to extinguish the sun. And someone says to them, how could you do that? You'd be burnt to a crisp. And they say, we thought of that. We're going to go at night. <laughs> you laugh. It's silly. Not as silly as kings trying to destroy God. And God laughs at them. 
And then he speaks and says, I will set my son on my holy hill of Zion. Ask of me, son. I'll give the nations for your inheritance, the ends of the earth for your possession. You will rule them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Why? Because of who Christ is. Even as you kill Him upon the cross, you're just exalting Him to the, to the highest throne of heaven. When you see who Christ is, His vision of God, it should, rejoice, should respond, rejoice with fear and trembling. When God says in Jeremiah 5, to the people in their wickedness, do you not fear me, declares the Lord? Do you not tremble before me? I place the sand as the boundary for the sea, a perpetual barrier that it cannot pass. Though the waves toss, they cannot prevail. Though they roar, they cannot pass over it. Do you not tremble before me, God says, in my presence? Do you not fear me? With the pagan king in Daniel 6, I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for He is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. We tremble in fear before, before the face of Daniel's God. He's the living God. So, trembling and fearing are these two words used to describe the experience of a soul who's just seen God or the experience of the soul who's just met God. And all that to say is sanctification occurs as you remember Christ, but it also occurs as you remember the divine presence. Sanctification works best when you place yourself, as, you, as Brother Lawrence said, practicing the presence of God, as you remind yourself that God is around me, yes, but even more, God is in me. I am His temple by the Holy Spirit. I mean, think about it. You fear the face of men, don't you? When I was at RTS, I worked in the library to help pay for my tuition. And there were three computers in our library at RTS Jackson, and they had the fastest internet connection. Back then, it was like one kilobyte per second. But it was very fast in those days, but it was a T1 connection, right? And uh, the fastest internet on campus, probably in Jackson, maybe. Apart from maybe hospitals, but a T1 connection all those years ago. But still, nobody ever used pornography in those computers. It would have been the best computer on campus to use porn on. The, the, the connection was fast. Why did no one use porn? Because they feared the eyes of men. They didn't want to be looking at that stuff in the presence of men. And one of the best ways to, to um, battle that sin, any sin, is to place yourself, remember always the presence of God. That God is in this place with fear and trembling. God is seeing me. God is around me. And we grow as a Christian as we constantly remember God is with me. I've been reading recently Ken Sandy's new work on relational wisdom. You might know Ken Sandy from his work is in Peacemakers, right? He's writing, he's putting out new material online, and it's called Relational Wisdom. It's not a book yet, but you can take courses on this, and it's quite intriguing. And the essence of it essentially is 
it all goes back to what he calls relational awareness, that in any situation in life, you should be aware of three things. And he has the mnemonic S-O-G. You should be aware of yourself. You should be aware of others. You should be aware of God. So, you should be aware of yourself. Who are you? What are you? What do you want? What are you thinking? Like when you lose your temper over small things, why does that happen? What happened? Right? What did I think after that thing happened? What was going through my mind? What thoughts were filling my soul up? What did I feel? What did I want? Be particular. Learn to know yourself. Like, for example, you know, you're carrying Christmas decorations down from the attic, and you drop them, and they fall everywhere, right? And you curse. Why did that happen? It wasn't, it wasn't because the Christmas decorations fell on the ground, and you had the, the hassle of picking them up. That's part of it. But there's more to it than that. Balloons don't burst when they're floppy. They only burst when they're under pressure. And likewise, you don't lose your temper over small things a small insult your husband makes or your wife makes, or a small inconvenience. That just depends. Your soul is already under pressure. Disappointment, bitterness, resentment, anger has been pumping up your soul. It's under tension. And so, the smallest prick will burst it. You've got to know yourself. You've got to be aware of yourself. Where does that tension come from? Years of sin, disappointment, other people's sin contributes to a sense of pressure, were, ungodly thinking, thoughts. God says whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is kind, whatever is excellent, anything praiseworthy, think about these things. But we're not like that. We live as if that verb says whatever is false whatever is dishonorable, whatever is bitter, whatever is, is the worst possible perspective, dwell on these things. And our souls fill with pressure, and they burst. And sanctification comes as you are aware of yourself. Why am I the way I am? You think about it. You examine yourself. You listen. You journal your thoughts. Aware of others, knowing how what's going on in the lives of other people. If your wife or your husband's under pressure, getting angry, bitter, resentful, spiteful, understanding them, dwelling with your wife in an understanding way, Peter says, understanding her soul, not just understanding how inconvenient she makes your life, how hurtful her comments can be, but actually understanding what makes her tick, awareness of self, awareness of others, but most importantly, awareness of God, who God is, what God is doing. And in my experience, whenever people are doing badly in a marriage or in any relationship or in life, in one of those three areas, awareness of self, others, or God, things are falling apart. But the first thing to fall apart is awareness of God. Let's say you're in a bad marriage this morning, and things are falling apart and you are at one another's throat. You're a living picture. In Proverbs, in the children's picture Bible, where it says there's one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword, there should be a picture of you and your wife. You're full of bitterness, anger, wrath, malice. Your only awareness of God is the hope that God might make your spouse change, because it's all their fault. 
that's not true awareness of God. True awareness of God would lead you to think, what is God doing in this situation? How is God using my husband or my wife to grow me in grace, to challenge me, to give me an opportunity to um, be kind to one who's being hateful, to pour myself out, to lay myself down, to give myself up? Are you thinking about that? Is God imposing Himself upon your marriage in that way? If He was, I think you would be dealing with the stress a little better, don't you? And so, if you want to grow as a Christian, it's not about what you do. It's, what about, it's about what, who Christ is, what Christ has done, getting back to Christ, and then remembering the presence of God so you can live with fear and trembling before the greatness and the glory and the holiness of God. That even when an angel appears from heaven, people tend to fall down and worship them. An angel goes, don't worship me. I'm a creature like you. You look different than I do. True? That's only because I've been in the presence of God and His glory reflecting off me. Still produces fear and trembling in other creatures. And we need to have such a sense of God that it would control us. So spiritual growth begins by getting back to the person of Christ and thrives in the presence of God. Thirdly, spiritual growth depends on the power of God. Not on what you do, though that's important, but what on what God is doing. Verse 13, the reason why you work out your, your salvation with fear and trembling, and the reason you can work out your salvation with fear and trembling is because it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. That's incredible. that God works in us. And He works in us at the deepest possible level, at the level of your will. You know, some people, some Christians believe that the human will is an inviolable sanctum, a holy of holies that God wouldn't dare enter because it would kind of mess with our personhood. No, I can't, I can't affect your will. If you love me, it must be from your own free will. I'm going to stand back and, and, and see if you will will to love me and will to believe in Jesus. I say this reverently. God is not stupid enough to believe something like that. If God left us to our free will, we'd all still be dead in our sins. We'd all still hate Him and resist Him. No, if something must change, the will must change. And if the will is to change, you are not the one to do it. Only God can and only God will. And He comes in, Paul says, and He actually changes us at the very center of our being. He monkeys with our will. You know, a miracle happens when God monkeys with the physics, which is okay because the physics rules or his rules. And he monkeys with them. Axe heads float just because he wants them to. Not normally, but when he monkeys with the physics, they float. 
Well, God can monkey with a person's will. He can give you a, a, a desire to get out of bed in the morning, a desire to refuse to rise to the bait when your husband is rude to you or your wife is rude to you. He can give you a desire to read the Bible. He can give you a desire to keep and honor the Lord's day. He can give you the desire to love not just beautiful people who love you. He can give you the desire to love your enemy and to be kind to those who hate you and despise you. He can give you the desire to tell the truth even when the truth will bring you down. He can give you the desire to believe the best about people, even though you know in your omniscience that the worst is really true, because you're always right. But He can give you the desire to believe the best, to hope the best, to hope all things, to believe all things. He can give you the desire to rejoice when you want to grumble. He, can, he works in you at the, at, the, at the element of desire, choice. He works in you to will, to create a new choice. But, you know, it's not that God's in heaven going, you know, we'll see if Neil chooses to love me this morning. We'll see if Neil chooses to read his Bible this morning. We'll see if Neil… No, God doesn't do that. He actually, he's actually willing to take the first step. And, and after He's given you the desire, He doesn't sit back and say, well, we'll see what you do with that desire. Let's see. I'm waiting. I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting. No, He actually does more than give us the desire. He gives us the strength to carry that desire out into practice. He works in us to will and to work. Energize is the Greek word for His good pleasure. Whenever we're, we're, we're so prone to be concerned, what do people think of me? That's our natural default thought. And God's able to actually change you in the inside so that people fall out of the center and we see only what does God think of us and want His pleasure and to please Him. So spiritual growth happens when we remember the person of Christ, when we remember the presence of God, and when we depend upon remembering the power of God, that God must work in. You take your broken heart to God, like David did in Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God. And the word that Paul, that David uses for create, and there's different words for create, most of the words for create in the Bible means to use pre-existing materials, like a carpenter takes wood that exists and make it, makes it into something, right? I'm reminded of a, a joke about the atheists and God were together, and they're having a challenge to see, you know, the, the, the devil and God. You take a pick, and they're having a challenge, right, to see who can do the best, like, like the prophets of Baal and Mount Carmel. And um, God says, okay, well, the challenge will start off low. Let, let's, okay, let's see who can make a fly, just a fly. 
So God stands back. Atheists have the first go. They walk over and they, they gather some dust from the ground to make the fly. And God says, no, no, <laughs> no, no, you can't use that dust. Why not? That's my dust. You make your own dust. Right? There's a problem. We can only create with pre-existing materials. But the word that's used in Genesis 1, bara, barashit bara Elohim, that word bara means to create out of nothing, with no pre-existing materials. That's something only God can do. And when David says, create in me a clean heart, he says, bara. There's no cleanness in my heart. There's no clean substrate for you to work with, O oh God. When, when it comes to making me clean, there's nothing to work with. You must produce all of the raw materials. And that's exactly the kind of God we have. You can take your broken, grimy, grubby, wandering, putrid little heart to God and say, Lord, fix it. Out of nothing, make it pure. Make it strong. Make it willing. Make it able. And God says, my people will be willing in the day of my power. So, the power of God. But then fourthly and finally, spiritual growth depends upon your purposeful action. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And the word work out is kata ergo in the Greek, and it means to make something happen. Make your salvation happen with fear and trembling. That's incredible. God's at work, and without God's work, you can do nothing. But that doesn't mean you should do nothing. It's not a let go and let God theology. Paul is calling you to engage your soul in the great process of growing up as a Christian. And for some of you, that's a problem. Some of you, it's a problem because you're not yet born again. And your motivation, right, for sanctification, maybe you've got some, some problem in your life. You drink too much alcohol, you, whatever. There's a, there's a, a vice that bugs you. And you, you come to church because you think, at church I can learn to beat that, conquer that. Well, I'm reminded of John Owen in volume 6. He says, you fool. You set yourself against this or that particular sin and do not realize that you are nothing but sin. Your whole life is one great middle finger extended Godward. You use Him. You don't worship Him. Your heart is entirely preoccupied with yourself. Even when you want to get better, it's all selfish motivation. I'll feel less bad about myself. I'll look less bad at my wife and family, and there'll be more respect. It's all self, 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 right? And that's all got to change. 
And it'll only change because your self-preoccupation is, is a sign that you're a dead soul. It'll only change when you're radically born again from above. And these words that I've read to you this morning, they're written to Christians, therefore, my beloved. These are the, this is His beloved church, people who have believed in Jesus. He doesn't write these to the Romans or the Greeks outside the church. These are words only Christians can obey because only Christians have the promise of the Holy Spirit to energize them. And so, if you're here, you're not yet a Christian, you must look to Christ and, and, and plead with Him to save you, right? But then other Christians, you hear the other, other people here, who, and you are believers, you're born-again believers, but the stoppage in your life is, is found in your willful refusal to engage in the basic principle of the Christian life, which is obedience. The, the, the precondition, if you like, of, of Paul's words here, he's speaking to people, what are they like? Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation. Right? This is, these are people who, by the grace of God and the cross of Christ, are obedient, not just when Paul is there, but when Paul is absent, right? Like my dog, Baxter. If I say, sit, Baxter, and I'm at the table, he'll sit, hoping for some food off the table. If I get up and leave the table when I'm not watching, he will jump up on the table and eat my whole dinner, which is very regrettable. But nonetheless, he does it. And um, that's the way some of you are. You won't sin here when I'm watching and the elders are watching. You'll be very, you know. But when no one's watching, the real you comes out, and this is very convicting. What you are in the privacy of your own home, that you are and no more. And that is a weighty thing, McShane said. And I feel it. It's, 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 it's heavy. But it's very difficult. What I'm trying to say to you, I suppose, is it's very difficult to grow in the Christian life if you're not committed to obeying Jesus. Now, we all sin. We all disobey Jesus, Right? But people who grow spiritually are those who, by the grace of God, are committed to obey Jesus. They're not just giving themselves a pass. If, if you're going to work out your salvation, Paul says, you've got to be the kind of person, not only as in my presence, but now much more in my absence, you've always obeyed. Now, work out your salvation. But sometimes I meet Christians, sometimes in the mirror, and you get so wearied and so tired that you just give yourself a pass. You just, you know, why well, you've fallen flat on my face so many times, I'm just going to stop trying. 
You there this morning? And the answer, if you're there this morning, is to go back to Jesus and remember Him. Think about Him. Read some of the great Christmas carols about Jesus. Pray through them. Singing them, sometimes music's a great help, but sometimes just, just reading them can be even more moving sometimes. We, we, we're so used to the tune, we don't really hear the words. Read them, pray through them, and think about who Christ is, what Christ did. Pray for God to give you such a sense of His presence that you'd be embarrassed to sin, Coram Deo. Like Joseph, when Potiphar's wife threw threw herself at him, and there's every reason for him to say yes to her. She would have been beautiful. She was willing and available. His prospects of marriage were zero. Everybody had betrayed him in his life. He was in the bottom of the bottomless pit, or so he thought. Life was going to get worse, though. And yet, it was the presence of God that gave him the presence of mind to say no. How can I do this thing and sin? He didn't say, you're ugly. I don't like ugly women. He didn't say, I made a promise. I've got a, I've got a ring to prove it. No sex before marriage. No, he said, how can I do this thing and sin against back to God. And then, Lord, before I work out, you must work in. Give me new will, a new choice, a new new strength. And then on the basis of that, O God, help me to work out my salvation with fear and And part of the reason we fear and tremble, I think, is yes, we're in the presence of God, but also is there's a sense that so many people make a good beginning, but how very few make a good ending in the Christian faith. And we say to ourselves, Lord, let that, let that not be me. Let, me let, let me not be the kind of minister who started better than he began. Nope. Who started better than he finished. Still jet-lagged. You know, there was a lady land here. And she broke alabaster box of perfume at the feet of Christ. It was worth tens of thousands of dollars in today's money. 300 denarii, a year's labor for a minimum wage person. $20,000 maybe, I don't know. She breaks it at the feet of Jesus. People are, people are appalled. Judas is appalled. This could have been sold and given to the poor. And Jesus, remember she said, 
He said, you'll have the poor always. But she, this lady, she did what she could. I don't think God asks any more of any soul. She did what she could. Are you doing what you can to grow spiritually? Were there times you did less? Were there times you did more? What are you doing now to grow spiritually? Because if I take Paul's words here correctly, it all depends upon God. But it also all depends upon you. Work, make your own salvation happen with fear and trembling. For it is God who's at work in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Let's pray together. O God, our Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus. And we need your grace, O God. Without your grace, we can do nothing, nothing. And yet, forgive us, O God, for the times we have allowed your grace to kind of give birth to a let-go-and-let-God attitude. And we've been footloose and fancy-free and limped on the way to heaven when we could have been running. Help us, O God, as your children, to make our calling and election sure not that it's in doubt in heaven, but it is, to some extent, moot on earth until we are willing to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who's at work in us to will and to do for His good pleasure. Come, Lord, show us Jesus. Let us feel Your power, and give us a purpose true to work to press on and lay hold of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, for which he himself has laid hold of us. In his name we pray. Amen.